0: You know, one of my, my biggest memories was being in a bar, which sounds kind of funny, but hear me out. Being in a bar <laughs> um, somewhere, in, uh, somewhere in Southeast Asia, and Mr. Jones by the Counting Crows comes on. And I kid you not that in this bar, there was a minimum of 40 people standing around a couple of pool tables. And there must have been 22 different languages spoke and everyone started singing the chorus to Mr. Jones. And in that moment, I recognized humanity.
1: Hello there. My name is Kit Rackley, my pronouns are they, them, and this is Coffee and Geography. The aim of the show is to get to know, explore, and celebrate the diverse and intersectional range of people on this rock we call home, and their love and passions of it. We'll find out why guests identify as geographers, and if they don't exactly, we'll have fun exploring all the myriad of ways that connects their life to geography. So pour your favourite brew, get cosy, and listen in. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at Coffee Jog Pot. Off we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the last episode, not ever. I am going to be crazy enough to go over this, but of season one of Coffee and Geography. And um, this is another episode that's in collaboration with the Envcast with Decolonizing Geography and the University of Anglia's Project Change. So more details about this collaboration will be given at the end of this episode. But first, let me welcome my final guest of the season, Stowe, Tawn Shikia.
0: Hello, Ani, Bonjour, Tawni and Hello, my name is Tawny.
1: <laughs> We've been. Yeah, so I practiced a little bit with Candice a few episodes ago and hopefully, you know, I've, I've, it's, it sounds a little bit more natural, but I can always it's try.
0: Practice. It's always yeah. practice.
1: Always practice. Okay, so Tawny is a steward of land and resources, which allows her to embody her role as the woodland priestess, helping parents return home to their children through a reconnection to the earth. She teaches a remembering of the mind, body, soul through the sharing of children's stories, poems, baking, arts and crafts, oracle readings, and nature exploration. And that's going to be so fascinating to talk about. Um, Hmm. So much to pick apart there. You know, I've seen so much about working with children and bringing children home to their parents. I've never really read something where it says helping parents return home to their children. Mm -hmm. That's a really fascinating phrase.
0: Well, for me, it... It's all been a part of a healing process. So I am one of those women who found herself in an uncomfortable situation. And despite technology, a beautiful warrior child found his way into my womb. And it was quite clear at around the 12-week mark that me and that little child were either in it uh, or we we weren't. But either way, we were in it together. And I happen to be a celiac. And so I have all kinds of stomach things that can make me feel nauseous at any given time. So I had no idea I was even pregnant. And uh, by the time I did figure out, it was actually past the technical 12-week mark. And I, I was out of options other than adoption. So we really had to decide what um, what I was going to do. But the decision that was very clear was there was not going to ever be anybody else in our lives. It was going to just be the two of us. So there's a great deal of shame and pain and guilt among a million other pregnancy hormones that happen. And mm. ultimately after the birth of my son and um hitting some big health crises and being really brought down to my knees i realized that he was my only reason for living he was my only reason for staying because if i didn't stick around he wasn't going to have anybody and mm. that kind of gave me the kick in the backside to say look are you actually going to live your life or not and if you are do it better and so really it's because of him I embarked on holistic healing. It's because of him, I dove deeper into the many years I dabbled in things like Reiki or plant medicine or any sort of um, shamanic journeying. Those prior to my son were for fun. After my son, I began to realize they, they were the way forward. And as I started to raise him, I began to recognize all of the trauma in my family coming down the women's line and how each of the women carried the, this incredible, just this in, incredible pain and suffering around their self-identity. And as I started to research our family, I began to discover it was because both my great-grandmother and my great-great-grandmother both survived Cowess's Indian residential school. And what had happened is my first maternal grandmother who went, um, you know, suffered incredibly, but was forced to to also then send her kids due to um, land being taken away and food being unavailable. And she was put into a position where it would be the only way to try to keep her children alive. And Mm. so because two generations were forced into um walking away from who they are and basically forced to stop speaking their language, stop practicing their traditions and remove ceremony, the rest of my family became broken down by trauma and what I began to recognize with my son was that I would pass that trauma on to him if I wasn't courageous enough to heal for me and all my grandmothers. And I realized that it was our children who help us return back to being alive, back to being here, back to the earth.
1: Thank you very, very much for sharing that story with everybody. Um, I've just, I'm, ta- I'm I'm, pausing here um, and just just, just to disclaim to everybody, before we started recording, I, uh, everybody, I said to Tony about how, you know, I've been using this podcast to kind of reevaluate certain things and learn certain things myself. And I find myself doing that exactly right now you know as everybody is probably aware by now I have two children myself and all the stresses and strains that come with having children of primary school elementary school age (laughs) but yes yeah I do realize now that they are they are encouraging me helping me to be a lot more introspective about trying to reconnect with not just the parent that i should be but you know the person that i should be how i should be behaving in general how i should be connecting with people and trying to learn the mistakes backwards from 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 you know retrospective kind of you know kind of the maybe my family my parents my father my grandfather you know and then just realizing i'm checking all that back again and how can i be a better parent it's yeah it's that's just really got me thinking quite deeply and i think uh so interesting. So intriguing. Thank you so much. And a lot of people probably listening will have that little same thought feeling as well if they've got children.
0: I hope it gives people courage, you know, courage to keep trying. And and really what our kids are amazing at is love. You know, kids are hmm. just incredibly capable of love. And what they're trying to show us is how to love ourselves. And that's the hardest piece of healing is learning how to love ourselves and find compassion yeah. for our our parents or the damage that was done because I don't think until we become parents we realize maybe what our parents went through because we couldn't and yeah. we weren't supposed to and that's the that's the beauty of the cycle of life continuing on is just big growth
1: <laughs> i just i feel like uh, i mean they've they've both they've both gone to bed now i just feel like i just want to go up and give them a I'm not I'm going to I I do this most of the time anyway but definitely after we finish chatting, I'm going to go up there and just you know do that parent thing where I open the bedroom door oh okay yeah so you see you see the uh, I can't emote it uh, if people if if people could see cuz we've got our cameras on but of course the podcast it's so if people would be able to see it in our faces and in my face but uh, uh, hopefully you can feel it, everybody, how how I'm feeling about that because I'm I'm because uh, I feel so profoundly impacted part in a positive sense in that. Um, I think the best the best way I can do is is actually go straight on to therefore to your identity because um, that seems like a nice little way to flow from what what you've just said. You're in Arden in Ontario in Canada, but you said in your bio that you've travelled the world and you've lived and worked on three continents, and you shared the wisdom now with all you meet, which is fantastic for a geography podcast and you teach kids and parents to fall in love with nature daily. And that requires all things geography. Absolutely. So the question I always ask guests, and they always have their own ways of answering it. Some of them are a little bit more practical, some of them a little bit more deeply introspective, but, um, so you've all that stuff that we've mentioned already is obviously formed a massive part of your identity. How has your travels and your living and working in all these places, what you've absorbed from different places, different cultures, how is that, do you believe, as melded to what's formed your identity as you've just mentioned? How has that all come together?
0: Hmm, that's a really good question. One of the best gifts that traveling offers anybody is a change of lens. You get to see something a bit bigger than the world you know. And I have been really blessed in being born in Canada and being able to use the working holiday visa system. I was able to live and work in uh, Australia, live and work in New Zealand, and uh, live and work in Europe as well through the UK Connection. So also then opened up opportunities not only to see other sort of colonial places but to then take little side trips away from colonial places to other parts of Asia and I would say what shaped me the most was recognizing that there is beauty everywhere in the world that every part of the world has its own ceremony its own tradition its own pride and that what makes a place beautiful is its people yeah. Without a doubt, it is its people that make it beautiful. You can look at a sun and, and and see as many shades as the sky is capable of producing. But talking to somebody about what you see changes that experience drastically. Right. And so really the, the, what changed me was was equally landscapes, of buildings, of you know ancient architecture, of busy streets, of profound caves and mountains and oceans, but also landscapes of people of all different race, color, and religious systems. Um, you know, one of my, my biggest memories was being in a bar, which sounds kind of funny, but hear me out. Being in a bar <laughs> um, somewhere, in, uh, somewhere in Southeast Asia, and Mr. Jones by the Counting Crows comes on. And I kid you not, that in this bar, there was a minimum of 40 people standing around a couple of pool tables. And there must have been 22 different languages spoke. And everyone started singing the chorus to Mr. Jones. And in that moment, I recognized humanity. In that moment, I recognized just that, you know, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. There are so many things that don't matter. There is a common humanity to all of us, and and it and it changed my life forever, and and I'll never be the same. And that moment will always, always live inside of me.
1: I can see, and now I've got that song in my head. I used to love love those guys when I when I was great, You know, Mrs. Jones and me. <laughs> you know, and so you know, it's already in my head. But you're right, it's, it's, and that's it. And and now that that connection you just had in that in that bar has you know by by proxy is now invoked some memories and connections in me and and one thing I've noticed that you've you did um and I'm about to now and that we were aware of our privilege that we've been able to travel so mm-hmm. I've traveled a fair bit as well um and so you're right a lot of people think well I'm going to go traveling to see places landscapes mountains beaches all that kind of stuff you know wildlife great fantastic but I totally agree with you. When I went to Malawi for example in 2013 that that experience was so profound but it wasn't the landscape so much it, you know I I also went to Mvu um, nature reserve and saw amazing animals it was the people it was the people. And so for those maybe listening who you know for any reason whatsoever don't have the privilege of travel maybe it's financial means medical means or whatever just going out into the local area or, you know, going in a, you know, branching out just in the region and meeting people and perhaps taking that step out of your comfort zone to speak to people that you usually don't commune with or in in communities that you usually don't communicate with, you know, that's traveling as well, in my opinion. So um, we can all travel in our own way.
0: I used to love saying live like a tourist in your own backyard.
1: Live like a tourist in your own backyard. I love that. I really, really love that. Yeah, and you can, and treat it like your own backyard as well. You know, don't drop any litter, leave only footprints, all that kind of stuff. Oh, I, I, oh! If only I was still teaching, tourney I would have used that one. Oh. <laughs> well, you
0: are teaching. That's what a podcast is. <laughs> true,
1: true, true. Yeah. If I so, but and, and I've got plenty of geography teacher friends and colleagues who are out there and teacher colleagues who are going to go. Oh, I am going to use that in my classroom yet. Yeah, so I've we've distributed it by proxy. <laughs> And of course, what we're doing right now, of course, talking via this podcast, I'm already saying, you know, I'm learning, I'm meeting new people and I don't see this as work. I don't see this as, uh, as effort. I see this as fun. I see this as joy. I see this as learning. I see this as enhancing my view of the world without having to, traveling without moving. What was, that was, was that uh, a choir? Now we're going more music now, isn't it? What was the song <laughs> traveling without moving?
0: I can't help you with all the pop culture. Counting Crows is about as good as it gets.
1: <laughs> oh, but they are pretty good. They're yeah. pretty good, right? Uh, now I've got Omaha in my head for some reason. Now uh, Omaha, you're gonna right have a hard back time. Back in Middle to sleep. America, <laughs> <laughs> we're traveling around the world for music now.
0: And there's a great way to travel, and that's a great way to experience geography: is to, you know, even if you're not feeling like brave enough to go out and meet people you don't know, be brave enough to try listening to music you've never heard. Yeah, be brave enough to listen to some Gregorian chants. Be brave enough to look up some Tibetan monks. Uh, listen Listen to an opera for a feel of what the people in Austria may have once wrote about. There's so many ways to use music to travel without leaving your own couch.
1: Yep, and there's no excuse nowadays with uh, with uh, insert you know streaming service here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. And I used to try and do that as much as I could in the classroom, where where basically um, at the at, at least at the start of each unit, I would have us how I'd have a insert streaming service hit playlist and like you know so when we were doing the unit about for example china um you know there'll be not just traditional chinese music on this place but it'd be like chinese hip-hop as well and chinese <laughs> pop and stuff like that yeah and and intermixed with it so the kids would be getting on with their map of china whatever it is trying to locate places and then they'd have you know this traditional thing that they probably would hear in a chinese restaurant and the next one would be like something that sounds a little bit like, like Gangnam style, but Chinese version rather than Korean version, you know. So uh, <laughs> exactly. it's, um, yeah, it, it was fantastic. And uh, one, one last thing I want to loop onto before we move on, move on as well is that you're the second person now who has um, used the word lens um, independently. And that was the word, the We Are All Geographers word, uh, that Niall, uh, geography teacher, Niall Cole came up for, for Candice Lloyd. He gave her the word lens to link to um. geography. And it's just incredible how now I've had, I think you're the second guest independently now. I think Eli Ramos and you have used the word lens just independently. So lens is going to be a big word, I think, uh, for in my word cloud now. So that's incredible. I love how this is all connecting together. Our drinks are one way that we can connect together. What are you? What are you drinking?
0: <laughs> I am actually drinking bone broth right now. <laughs> it's it's four o'clock in the afternoon here, so I don't drink caffeine after uh, about eleven a.m. And um, I will sometimes drink a roasted dandelion root uh, or just some herbal teas for the rest of the day, but I am um, going through a major uh growth spurt in the energetic spiritual realm that is um asking of me to to nurture my body in different ways and so I'm on a, a little stretch of no caffeine, no citrus. Um no ferments. And because of that, I I needed something to fill in some space. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm doing this big work. I'm going to nourish my the rest of my body with some bone broth. And I usually make it, um, I'm very much into small scale regenerative uh, farming practices. I'm very mm-hmm. much into uh, when you take care of the earth, you get healthy food and so I, I purchase things not at grocery stores per se, as much as from local independent um, producers. And so the, uh, I try to also then use every aspect. So if I have a roast chicken dinner, then I will make a whole bunch of broth um, from the leftover uh, carcass. And it's really high in good quality fat uh, because these animals have been raised outside. And that fat helps my brain... Uh, have a bit more energy, and so I am sipping on some delicious bone broth to keep the neurons going in my brain and support my body while I'm going through um, a spiritual quest.
1: We don't eat massive amounts of of meat here in a way to to reduce our carbon. Uh footprint but we do every now and then and it's always from local farms around here but what we do do traditionally and we do celebrate u.s thanksgiving um because my wife is american but we but we've now started to learn to do that with respect to the history of what thanksgiving is all about and of course that is that's a complete discussion itself so the tradition is less about what thanksgiving is about historically more about just the fact that it's a get-together of friends and family this is the way we treat it um but what we do with that's the only time of year really we have turkey we might have some fit a bird for christmas as well but we do the same thing we take we strip it out completely you know and then stick all the, the and then my wife especially she loves to cook with she, she makes broth out of it we've done yeah so we've done the same sort of thing you know we've we've done that and of course then you can put whatever you would like into it you know what kind of spices what kind of vegetables that goes within it you know it whatever we've got stuff growing out of the garden which we like to chuck into it as well i'm a big fan of garlic i love garlic and yeah it's i think more people need to do that because it's good for you as you just said yes and it's a great way to reduce food waste
0: it's all of those things yeah it's a uh, really nourishing for the body in in so many ways and i also believe it connects you to the land. Um, Mm. you know, when you're, when you're eating things that have been raised on the earth, then you, if, especially if you're giving thanks, you're having gratitude for, for what you have. And I believe that using all of the animal does help you in a form of giving thanks. And so that, that just raises your vibration. It's keeping you healthy and in many ways.
1: It makes, it makes sense because if you're going through, if you're going to eat meat, okay, let's start there. If you're going to eat meat, you know, you've got to respect the sanctity that I've learned to respect the sanctity that that is a living being or was a living being. So if its purpose is going to be to nourish you, then you've got to give it that full respect. You know, the way you treat it, the way the conditions that it's born in, the conditions that it lives in, what you feed it, the life that you give it while it's alive. And at the end of its days, when it comes to doing whatever, you know, you don't waste it. How can you disrespect life more than wasting it? Mm -hmm. So, I, that's that sounds a little bit quirky.
0: Well, it might be quirky to your audience, but certainly not quirky to to anybody who believes in in the earth and the, and living off the land well and and a and a respect or healing for the earth um to us that that's quite normal and i would argue that it goes beyond meat so even if you're um, mm. a vegan or a vegetarian it's i for me someone like me a woodland priestess every living thing every sentient being deserves our respect and when we start right. returning yeah. reverence to all life, we look at the world through a different lens. I'll throw you your lens again. Hey. We start looking <laughs> at life so differently, and um, our our care, our compassion, our kindness uh, are are altered. It's a harder way of living. We have to slow down a lot yeah. to be that reverent, um, but it it is an immensely healing practice to begin the practice of, um, honoring every living thing that gives us nutrition. And we give it back to the earth. If we steward, well, if, if we're good stewards, if we, like you said earlier, if we don't litter, you know, if we're good stewards of the land and we manage our water consumption and we do, things to uh, use less chemicals and, and recycle, and we take all of these, what could seem like very insignificant steps, they all add up. Mm, and so we yes. give back to the earth for every sentient being we consume by being good stewards. That's my belief.
1: This is exactly why we're having this uh, collaboration with uh, Project Change, because you know this is all about how taking these small, simple steps can accumulate and can, you know, and having that respect for nature can help to turn the tide with things such as environmental degradation and climate change. But um, it's what's really interesting as well as is here all that is that I'm, I can now can make connecting stories and connecting people through, through what you're saying in the stories. So going back to, I think it was uh, episode 11 with um, Lucy Eckersley or the punk biologist, as she calls herself when she does her educational stuff, she gave a similar story uh, to you, but from a, from a different lens. And it was this, and it's worth repeating, but you've got to listen to that episode, everybody, because it gives it a bit more context. She said her dad came back from a farmer's market after buying some sausages. And she was like, I don't want to eat these now. And she was like, why? It's because the farmer who sold me at this farmer's market you know, could, had, could name all the pigs that they had come from. And he said, Yeah, I've got some sausage here, and these ones have come from Clive the Pig. You know, she she's a stand up comedian, so it was hilarious the way she told it. But the point was is that by naming the pig that those sausages had come from, it had invoked some kind of reaction in her dad. And apparently those sausages spent th- the more than the usual time in the freezer. And apparently Lucy said that her dad says, I just can't eat the Clive sausages.
0: Because we're to into a, a reverence, right?
1: Right. So there you go, everybody you so you mentioned Woodland Priestess. hmm Um so what a perfect time to talk about that. So Twin a woodland priestess, and, and have you know, because we're so flooded with popular culture now, they've got have they got images of something from Games of Games of Thrones or maybe, you know, of the Woodland Elf from Lord of the Rings? Is that a Woodland priestess? But for, for so in, educate us, what what is a woodland priestess? What's the kind of process No, how did you become one?
0: These are These are hard questions to answer. I'll start with the easy one. The easy one is I almost look like a hobbit because I'm only four foot 11. Oh, wow. That, however, has nothing to do with the movie scene or the height of a camera. It's my actual height. I was born that way. (laughs) So I'm quite mini. Um, But uh, how does one actually become a woodland priestess? What is a woodland priestess? That is a name that came to me like most things through, uh, through intuition. And what I tell people is we have, you know, a multi, a multifaceted experience here on life. We have our mind, we have our body, we have our soul and the mind is what is rewarded by society. And so it tends to get the most real estate and we're taught very young to, um, to hold having to go to the bathroom until the bell rings or not to eat until uh, we get home from school. And, and as these messages are reinforced, we give less and less real estate to our feeling body and more and more real estate to our mind hmm. until eventually our mind calls all the shots. And what happens is the less we are in tune with our feeling body the harder it is to hear the whispers of our soul or connect in with things like our intuition. And I personally believe we are all born whole and it's simply life experience uh, whether that's t- trauma or just societal conditioning that that alters our experience in such a way that we might forget we have these capabilities of being an all-encompassing human that is 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 a divine gift just by opening our eyes each day and by breathing and that that we are all connected and interconnected to not just each other, but also to all living sentient beings. And so ultimately becoming a woodland priestess is uh, a stepping up. It's a soul contract agreeing with my guides and, and saying that the traumas that I have endured the life that I have witnessed the gifts and you could call them curses as well. I've, I've Mm. endured are for a higher purpose and I accept that purpose to go forward and, and, and hold hope in the form of light for anyone willing to take responsibility for their own healing journey. And mm. that's what I do. So anybody who says, I do not like the state of the world, but I'm no longer content to either just be complacent and watch or to blame everyone else for its state. I'd like to know what I can do on a micro level just to improve my own existence. Those are the kind of people that I'm able to to take on a journey with what is what I call my owl sight. And the name Tawny is, is a gift from spirit. It's not my birth name that has to do with the owl. And it has to do with the ability to hear and see the unseen. And I can see that in every human being. And my job is to show it to them. The hard part about my job is I don't get to make them take choices or take action. I simply right. get to be the guide to illuminate where people go from there. is is their own their own process, and I guess what uh, furthered the woodland priestess for me was a move finally from the urban setting back to land more akin to what my ancestry would have lived on um i'm now on a three acre canadian shield which is really rocky full of granite full of um sandstone and um a temperate forest where it meets the boreal forest and so it's quite mixed and i have a lot of woodland creatures and i have all kinds of um Uh, local foods and medicines that just grow in my forest. And so I am blessed to uh, continue healing my Métis heritage by reconnecting deeper to all of these sentient beings and then taking their teachings to others who are also wanting to hold hope and um, help anchor in a way where we return back to respect and reciprocity with the
1: earth there's there's a lot of things i can definitely connect with that and i've been on a journey myself um it's really interesting to say i've been born whole and then you know feeling completely um and then bit, bit, things being stripped away as you get older as you go through life and and uh, I, I don't know if i've told this story on the podcast before and maybe maybe you can give give your 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 thoughts on this about whether this is part of the process but the first ever time I felt confused about who I was meant to be was when I was five years old. So up to that point, I I did have all that innocence, all that, you know, this is the earliest memory that I have that is stuck with me and it will never go away. Now, I was in reception or as, or as um, kindergarten and the teacher had got out um, some boxes, some dress-up boxes, and there was two boxes or two boxes. Two tubs, shall we say, and it was like dress-up time. Like, yeah, everyone's excited. So I'm rushing. I rush over to the nearest one, which was a red tub, and then there was this lovely um princess's kind of dress kind of in there. And I was like, "Oh, this is really nice. I'm gonna try this on." And then the teacher, a lovely teacher, I have very fond memories of the teacher. Uh, the teacher said, "No, dear, this this box is for the girls. This tubs for the girls. That the blue one there is for the boys. You need to pick one out from the boys from the boys tub, right?" So. And my first, it's amazing how clear this emotion was. My first reaction was confusion, you know? Yeah, it's like, but I want that one. And why can't I have that one, you know? So, and that's the first, that's the earliest memory I have of now realizing now that I've I've identified my gender of being transgender, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of a societal construct. Mm -hmm. So... So, if I was to tell you that that story is i realize that that's what I'm doing. I'm telling you the story. I'm just kind of telling you my journey so how would you frame that from from your point of view as in with the with the process that you go through what do, what would you see in me in that respect?
0: I would see the same in anyone your heart and your soul were desiring something, and logic. Made somebody else override your feelings because somebody's societal programming said boys can't play with dresses. Mm. And it stopped you from the true expression of who you are and what you wanted to be. And I'm not saying that any five year old boy or girl who has an interest in anything opposite gender is going to predict their future.
1: Absolutely. Of, of
0: who or what they will identify with. But it Ooh. is absolutely, in my mind, a perfect example of a programming completely overriding what you desired. And that was absolutely your heart speaking. Right. And as parents, we get challenged all the time with our kids' desires to evaluate well are we going to let societal programming tell us what they can and can't do or the or or our own what we grew up with as parenting are we going to let that dictate how we are with our kids or are we going to call ourselves out and hold back and and give our kids some space to simply be there's a lot of yeah. pressure on kids to you know to be to be adults from a really young age, and to, and when we we strip them of of their right to play, and that yeah. right to play, that playfulness is absolutely what keeps us in tune with our intuition. So stripping us of that takes us away too.
1: I know, I know there's a lot of teachers who listen to this podcast, and I I can guarantee you there's going to be a lot of nodding heads um, to what you've just said there. Um, we, I can speak from my own experience, of course, what my colleagues have told me, but we think that the children that come through our doors and in our classroom grow up way too quick, way mm-hmm. too quick. On one hand, we want to treat them with respect. We, we want to treat, we want to treat them as young adults, not because we want them to be adults, but we treat them as young adults because we respect them as human beings, that they have yes. their own desires, you know, aspirations, um, identities, et cetera, et cetera. That's why we want to treat them as quote unquote young adults. But we also want them to be children and one of the reasons why i left the teacher profession because i was i was crushed by a system that just wanted to churn them out to plug more into society to to fit more into a structure and i just couldn't bear to, i just i couldn't be part of that process anymore there were other reasons why I left the profession as well. And you folks who are still in the teacher profession, you know, I know so many of you, you know, I love you to bits and I have so much admiration for you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that's, that's, just, that's just my personal feeling and it's not so, so not a judgment on any of you who have stayed in the profession. Thank you for staying in the profession because you're all amazing people. And I know that you do it in spite of these challenges, not because of them, you know.
0: Yeah, you know, it's really hard to hold space against rules and against systems and anybody who has managed to stay in the teaching profession is fulfilling their own soul contract that could just be quite different from yours
1: right yeah
0: and in doing so is still trying to hold space for something in in alignment with the same beliefs you might have you know just because they're still in the system definitely doesn't mean they they don't agree they're they're trying to carve out their own ways to, yeah. to hold space for these kids.
1: Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. The vast majority of teachers I know are yeah, they they're working within the system despite the system and they are they, they're in there for the kids 100%. Yeah. One last thing to talk about Tony cuz cuz time is going and I I've, I've had so much you've uh, I have got this I I feel okay everybody, I'm going to say I I've, I've I've got a knot in my stomach right now. Um it's really strange it's the first time I've had this speaking to someone on the podcast, but it's so something has been fired up inside me. Definitely. Um, in a good sense, I don't feel uncomfortable. It doesn't feel uncomfortable, but it feels some, some energy has been released and, and yeah, there are so many things now I I, I want to do, uh, reevaluate some of your things, go and think about things the next time I see my you know, try and make sure I definitely count to 10 and re- remember all these things. So I just want everybody to know that that's how I was feeling. Um, Okay. One last thing. So, uh, you, you also mentioned you're an Oracle reader. So this is really interesting because I, I don't really know much about that at all. Apart from, I heard about reading tea leaves. Um, you know, Candice Lloyd, we talked about how, I think it was her grandmother used to do that, used to, um, gave You, t- I think she said something like she gave you, she offered you tea, and if she really liked you, she would read you uh, the leaves or something That'd like that. Be awesome, <laughs> <laughs> yeah! So, yeah, so, um, Oracle Reading, tell us a little bit about that.
0: So, uh, when I was about uh, 19 or 20, I started dabbling with tarot decks for the first time. And, um, they didn't really, uh, I knew there was something that was drawing to me, them, to them, even then I loved this idea of divination of connecting to something bigger to tell a story and it, but it wasn't really sticking for me. And then I got given, um, an, an indigenous native, native animal card deck and it started talking about animals in the form of medicine shields and the way that animals carry messages. And that started to resonate Much deeper, and at the same time as that deck, I was also given a Druid deck, and so it's really fascinating to me. It was a Druid animal deck, and so it was the animals that I could connect in with that started kind of showing me um, that all of life had bigger meaning. But I really wasn't ready to do anything serious with it for uh, much of my life. Um, Fast forward to where I am now: I lived and worked as a farm manager on on a on a herbal plant sanctuary. And that sanctuary was committed to um, protecting endangered medicinal plants, things like golden seal, Oregon grape root. Um, just so people have a context of what I'm talking about when I say endangered medicinal plants, um, there are many herbs that are dying out just because the ecosystems don't exist anymore. And these are these are medicines. So I worked and lived on that farm, and I have been studying the teachings of that mentor, Samantha Orthlieb of Senses of the Soul, uh, ever since living and working on her farm. And I only left uh, when it was time to have my child. So um, I left to have my son and have stayed with her teachings. Well, bless that woman. She created an oracle deck and it gave me a way to continue with her teachings in a way that felt right. So I now get to use her teachings, which is how to connect with plants psycho-spiritually, which means not even eating them, what messages do the plants have to get into your subconscious and help you grow on your spiritual experience, like your spiritual experience while you're living here on Earth? And so that's what I do for people. I, I do audio recordings where I pull seven cards using plants, chakras, and archetypes, and I combine all of the Tawny wisdom inside of me, and <laughs> uh, and I give people um, a snapshot on how they can take. Steps to grow to evolve spiritually, and the messages and the way the plants come through and how they connect to people always blows my mind. um And it's kind of selfish that I do it. It's it excites me to know other people are curious, and it excites me that other people want to grow, and it excites me that other people want to connect in with plants, and it gives me a chance to geek out on them. So I really love doing it. It's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, the geek, the geeking out of it, just the icing on the cake, really, isn't it?
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. All right, so we're going to uh, fi- finish off now with our um, for the last time this season. The uh, we are all geographers, which is where we connect all the guests together and we talk about uh, a particular word. And you are challenged by the last guest to connect that word to geography. I don't know. It was it was amazing. It was so much fun uh, when I talked to to Roe Proctor and i actually listed all the words that have been out um this series and we, you know we had just just for you you tawny you know, we had uh just, just get my word list up here so the kind of words we've had this season we've had you know really really cool one abstract one we've had like um faith we've had hope we've had embodiment we've had um purpose lens as we've already mentioned we've had some really kind of just random but quite good ones like discombobulated that was Hina Robertson come up with that one that was quite she felt discombobulated about the whole you know through the whole episode so she like I'm going oh, to give that as my word okay um, friendships we've had things like that contrast and then we've had some real strange ones so we've had trampoline which which actually is quite easy to link the geography you know but we've had squirrels but not in the way that we didn't come up with squirrels in the way you think people just got to listen to that chat with Chantel and the Kira to come up with that one And Ro gave you toenail.
0: (sighs) Toenail. Yeah. Okay, that's fun. You have toenails (laughs) on your feet and you get itchy feet when you want to travel. Your toenails are the closest thing to your feet connected to the earth, which you walk upon, which take you from town to town and place to place. Your toenails hold the dirt which holds the enzymes you could have all kinds of different microbes and soil profiles all caught in your toenails keeping you healthy time's
1: up i didn't even get to the point where you said you got 30 seconds you just went straight for it and just like (laughs) nailed it (laughs) of course yeah now i'm thinking of the going back to the kids again thinking of the dirt they get in their toenails and their fingernails when they're playing outside yeah well done I, okay that was, that was, that, <laughs> was that was fun
0: I was looking forward to knowing what my word was
1: <laughs> well I don't know why I was even nervous about saying that one but Ro that was brilliant that was brilliant well played um right so Tony you've got the um the absolute uh, privilege to kick off season two for us so because what's going to happen everybody is that there's going to be a a special episode next week where um I'm going to try and thread all of these words together in some poetry and prose for you uh, just to kind of like pay thanks to everybody who's been on the show. Um, and then the first guest of season two, which will be in 2022, is going to kick off We Are Old Geographers with Tawny's word. So, Tawny.
0: Reverence.
1: Yes. That is kicking off 2022 in style, that one. <laughs> Reverence is for you. Excellent. So, Tawny, um, do you have anyone to say, you'd like to say hi to? If anyone, you're going to twist their arms to to get to listen to us, us chat?
0: Um, no, no one specifically. <laughs> I uh, I will twist lots of arms to listen, but uh, I, I don't know which ones of them will actually say yes. So I I am just grateful and always humbled when someone like you tracks me down after years of traveling, it is exciting to, uh, connect Aww. back with a culture that you've spent time with. And just to know that, uh, there are people as curious as you on the other side of the world, uh, checking people like me out is exciting. So I'll, I'll just salute you. I'll just say thanks Aww. for having me. And, uh, thanks for listening to me.
1: Oh, that's just so lovely. No, it's been absolutely my pleasure. And um, for those, so you have a website, I believe. So people want to check you out and, and maybe get in contact with you. And because such a fascinating person to get in contact with, what is your website? Let people know so people can say hi.
0: So it's a plant. Go figure. The plant is called <laughs> fireweed. And uh, that's because fireweed emerges after a forest fire and spreads 80,000 seeds change. So my website yes. is fireweedlearningcommunity.com.
1: What a way to end the series, everybody. That's amazing. With fireweed. Yeah. Uh, Tori, it's been so lovely to speak to you. So I'll just, I'm will just i going to end by saying marci bama P. Marci mm, chi
0: bama
1: thank you so much for listening we hope you had fun if you haven't already done so please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favorite podcast app if you fancy being a guest or have any feedback follow us on twitter at coffee pod and send us a dm or you could email coffee and jog at geogramblings.com. until next time keep geogging. hope you enjoyed the chat. This was a special episode, which is in collaboration with the Envcast, hosted and produced by Mahnoor Kadir, Decolonising Geography, which is a group of educators, academics and students in the United Kingdom working to decolonize the geography curriculum, and Project Change, which is a programme of climate change workshops, resources and competitions from the University of Stanglia. The guest in this episode of Coffee and Geography or join other guests on the Envcast for a panel discussion about Indigenous identities and climate change. These discussions form the basis of educational materials and resources written by members of Decolonising Geography and used in materials in Project Change. To listen to the panel discussion on the Envcast, please see this episode's description where you can find a link to that episode. You can also find a link to the Decolonising Geography website and to Project Change. It is hoped that these resources can help teachers, students and members of the public understand how Indigenous populations are being impacted by climate change but also what we can learn from them about managing our environment and becoming reconnected with it. Listening to those who are from cultures who have worked with the land and with the environment is absolutely key if we're going to push forward in addressing the climate crisis and move forward from discussions on the recent COP26 negotiations. If you have any questions, please get in contact with us at decolonisegeography at gmail.com That's decolonised with an S, not a Z. We look forward to hearing from you.